Welcome to the Overcoming Adversity podcast presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals that help listeners tackle the storms of life and become more resilient. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. I don't honestly know to whom this message is specifically intended, nor to what portion of those present it directly applies. I am confident, however, that if I am supported by your faith and prayers, it is delivered so that I can give expressions to the deep feelings of my heart. This message will be of significant benefit to some who need it provided they apply consistently in their lives the principles emphasized. I do not say this with any degree of personal pride, but in humble recognition of the experience I have had in its present preparation. Seldom have I struggled as long and as hard to crystallize the feelings of my heart as I have on this occasion. But finally those sweet, quiet promptings of the Spirit came, which give me confidence to speak with conviction and assurance. To those among us that are struggling with feelings of inadequacy or of being left out or being misunderstood or not appreciated, each passing day I am aware that there are many youth in the Church who understand the teachings of the Savior and apply them faithfully, consistently in their lives. They continue to grow in strength and self-confidence and to find their obedience is rewarded with happiness, peace, and self-assurance. I am also aware that there are significant numbers of youth who are striving to identify a path that will bring them satisfaction, a sense of belonging of self-worth. Some have an intellectual knowledge of the gospel principles but have not incorporated them completely in their own lives. They live partially or superficially the teachings of the Savior and, as a consequence, do not receive the fullness of direction that can come from the Lord nor the ability to achieve blessings that result from being fully, willingly obedient to His commandments. They have not yet discovered the power and inspiration that come from the Lord to aid all of us in the difficult experiences of life. Such individuals strive mightily to face each day's challenge on their own and the encounter difficulties. It is because I now know that they see only part of the picture and can be stealthily led by Satan down erroneous paths that with deep love and empathy and with all the conviction of my soul I wish to share some personal experiences which a kind and loving Lord has used to help me understand the meaning and power of some of the principles of the gospel. I too have had such feelings of loneliness and of being left out and not appreciated. I was born in a home where my father was not a member of the Church 
and my mother was what by today some would categorize as being inactive. During my early childhood, I did in no way understand the significance of the fact that there was no priesthood-bearing patriarch nor consistent teaching of pure gospel principles in our home. Yet no son could have loved more or been more proud of my father than I was then and I am now. He taught his five boys by noble example the importance of industry, integrity, education, manual skills, trust, and obedience. We gained self-confidence through the practice of these worthy traits. Because he traveled frequently and left our precious mother alone for significant periods of time to raise five active, exuberant boys, we discovered in her, in her an amazing, marvelous combination of love, patience, firmness, and diligence. She was and continues to be more a friend and companion than anything else. I should add that the Lord has since greatly blessed our family. Dad is a sealer in the Washington Temple, and Mother serves as a temple worker at his side. Both provide powerful examples of spirituality for each of us. During my youth, through kind, understanding bishops, patient home teachers, and other members, the five boys were encouraged to attend church to participate in its activities. We did so although at times reluctantly. I remember now with sadness the times when at separation for Sunday school classes I would slip out the back door for a walk in the park. There were, however, times when I listened to the teachings in class. I am sure that if anyone would have questioned my testimony and understanding of the gospel, I would fiercely have defended as being strong and vigorous. Only from the perspective of time and the marvelous experiences of later, more active participation in Church programs, do I now realize that I knew very, very little of the true meaning of the gospel plan. I participated in Church activities but somehow felt I was always at the periphery. I would approach mutual activities daydreaming of glorious evening, of dancing with the most popular girls in the ward. The reality of each evening was quite different. As I sat in the sidelines and watched others enjoying themselves, I felt somehow left out, not a part of the central group. The same occurred in school. Though I felt comfortable in the academic activities, the social and sport activities left me feeling alone and unwanted. It wasn't until a lot later in life that I realized that it was largely my fault. I have since learned that no one can demand love and respect or require that the bonds of friendship and appreciation be extended as an unearned right. These blessings must be earned. They come from personal merit, concern for others, selfless service, and worthy example. Qualify one for such respect. All my rationalization that others had formed select groups and knowingly ruled out my participation was largely a figment of my imagination. Had I practiced correct principles, I need not have ever felt alone. Well did President McKay repeatedly observe, every man, 
Every person radiates what he or she is. Every person is a recipient of radiation. Where proper gospel principles are observed, that radiation invites friendship and trust. Where lacking, there is a negative, unpleasant radiation that closes the doors to righteous companionship. During my last year at the university, I looked forward to the prospects of a fine professional future. I had my life very well planned and outlined. Then a kind and thoughtful Lord placed a bombshell in my little world. Her name was Janine Watkins. Her father's call to the Senate had brought her to Washington, D.C., where I lived. The more I knew her, the more fascinated I became, and each opportunity to be with her deepened the growing love within my heart. One evening, as we conversed about important things of life, she innocently said, When I marry, I'll marry in the temple to a returned missionary. That struck me to the core. It began a process of reflection and contemplation and prayer that resulted in my receiving a call as a missionary in Uruguay. I thought myself ill-prepared to teach the gospel to anyone. I had an intellectual understanding of some of the gospel principles that I recognized needed to be converted into a heart-centered, Holy Ghost-inspired, burning testimony of truth. I struggled to communicate to the Lord the feelings of gratitude for the privilege of service, for the blessing of righteous parents, for the love of one of his most precious handmaidens. I asked him to help me to be an effective servant in his hands. I strained to forget self, struggled to help others, and in the process the skeleton of teachings I had received took on new life and meaning. I discovered that we are not left alone to face the challenges of life, but can receive guidance and strength from a loving, understanding God in heaven. I bathe my pillows with tears, pleading for the mercy of the Lord to forgive a wayward soul or to fortify a family in need. I pled that a heart could be softened or a struggling father could be given a personal witness of truth and discovered the breadth, the breadth, the limitless breadth of love. Familiar scriptures through prayer and application gained new depths of understanding and appreciation. I had read the words many times, and how they took on new meaning. And charity suffereth long, and is kind and envieth not, and is not puffed up, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, and rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, if ye have not charity, ye are nothing, for charity never faileth. 
Wherefore cleave unto charity, which is the greatest of all. But charity is the pure love of Christ, and it endureth forever, and whoso is found possessed of it at the last day, it shall be well with him. What a priceless message for any that would enjoy the comforting circle of friendship. How I wanted then, as I do now, to share those exquisite feelings of love and appreciation for belonging. There were then, as there are now, constantly new lessons. Well do I remember the first time when I, as I pled with the Lord in solemn prayer for the help and guidance and feeling of support that I'd come to cherish, that there was no answer. Rather, I felt a barrier, an insurmountable wall. I reviewed my life, my feelings, my acts, all that could affect such communication and found no problems. It was not until after much more purposeful struggling that there came the clarification. What I had felt was not a wall, but a giant step, an opportunity to rise to a higher spiritual plane an opportunity evidencing trust that I would obey correct principles without the necessity of constant reinforcement. After more effort, the peaceful, comforting presence of the Spirit returned. I wish I had some magic wand that would allow me to touch the hearts of each to whom this message is intended and communicate the experience that had flowed from a loving Father since that time but I cannot. However, I can mention four principles that, have come, that I have come to recognize as the foundation of happiness and growth and the secure feeling of companionship with the Lord. These four principles have brought the deepest feeling of worthwhileness, peace, and happiness into my own life. The Lord has established these cornerstones in His internal plan, and each one is essential. All work in harmony together and reinforce one another. And when they are coupled with diligence and consistency, they produce strength of character and increasing ability to convert the challenges of life into stepping stones to happiness now and forever. They are faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His program. Repentance to rectify the consequences of mistakes by omission or commission. Obedience to the commandments of the Lord to provide strength and direction in our lives. And selfless service to enrich our daily existence. Satan also knows that these principles, if observed consistently, will render an individual increasingly resistant to his temptations. He has developed a comprehensive plan to undermine or destroy each one of them. For example, to dispose of faith, Satan would plant and cultivate in each one of us the seeds of selfishness, for he knows that if left unchecked, they will grow into a monster that can consume and destroy the divine spirit in man. Selfishness is at the root of sin. It reinforces destructive habits that produce a dependence on chemical or physical stimulants that destroy the mind and body.
Selfishness leads to unrighteous acts that debauch and deprave the soul. Satan's program is based on immediate gratification of selfish desires. Participate now and pay later. Yet the full, terrible consequences of payment are never revealed until it is tragically late. The Spirit of the Lord can overpower the stifling effect of selfishness. That Spirit comes with faith, repentance, obedience, and service. With the other brethren, I have the privilege of interviewing youth who have stumbled along the way and yet have painstakingly found their way back. Many want to serve a mission. Their backgrounds, their backgrounds vary widely, as does the degree of their transgression. The support from others ranges from strong to non-existent, yet there is always a common thread of similarity. In every case, without exception, each has come to the realization that wickedness never was happiness. <coughs> each has resolved to place into effect the saving principles of the gospel. The proper use of free agency produces the miracle of rebuilt, useful lives. I have personally seen that until words like faith, prayer, love, humility become a living part of us through personal experience and the sweet promptings of the Holy Spirit, they hold no great significance nor produce no miracles. I found that I could learn gospel teachings intellectually and through the power of reason and analysis, recognizing that they were of significant value. But their enormous power and strength and ability to stretch one beyond the limits of his imagination did not become a reality until patient, consistent practice allowed the Holy Spirit to distill and expand their meaning in my heart. The genius of the gospel plan is that by doing, principally in selfless service to others, those, thing the Lord, those things the Lord counsels us to do, we are, giving, we are given every understanding, every capacity, every capability necessary to provide rich fulfillment in this life and the preparation necessary for eternal happiness in the presence of the Lord. Yet anyone that paints a picture of life as being easy without challenge is, is either not being honest or has not yet encountered the growing experiences which the Lord gives each of his children to prepare them for happiness in this life and the blessing of dwelling in his presence. The purpose of these experiences has been clarified by the Lord. And if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me and have faith in me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, I will make weak things become strong unto them. Elder Orson Whitney wrote, No pain that we suffer, no trial that we experience is wasted. It ministers to our education, 
to the development of such qualities as patience, faith, fortitude, and humility. All that we suffer and all that we endure, especially when we endure it patiently, builds up our characters, purifies our hearts, expands our souls, and makes us more tender and charitable, more worthy to be called the children of God. And it is through sorrow and suffering, toil and tribulation, that we gain the education that we came here to acquire, which will make us more like our Father and Mother in heaven. We can, however, avoid unnecessary sorrow and distress. President Tanner is wisely counseled. The first thing to remember is that if we really understand and live the principles of the gospel, we won't find ourselves in some of the predicaments we get into. Much of the loneliness, heartache, and despair which is common to so many people have come because either they or someone in their family or their mate did not live the principles of the gospel or did not apply the principle of repentance. That is the second thing to remember. If you do, not, if you do get into trouble or have not kept the commandments and have transgressed, then we have this glorious principle of repentance to help us erase the guilt and start all over again. The Doctrine and Covenants tells us, By this ye may know if a man repenteth of his sins. Behold, he will confess them and forsake them. Closed quote. Some of us divert our best efforts from constructive accomplishment by investing them in mental anguish and continual worry. The Lord has taught me a great lesson about worry that I would like to share with you today. After a wonderful full-time mission where everything has, that has subsequently proven to be of eternal value in my life began to mature, I was sealed in the temple to my lovely Janine. She had fulfilled her mission while I was serving mine. We began life together with every expectation of happiness, having some understanding of the application of the principles of the gospel in our lives. I was blessed, I am convinced, through the kindness of the Lord to obtain a job in a new, highly developmental pioneer effort to place a nuclear power plant in a submarine. The work was fascinating, challenging, and absorbing. When combined with the natural growth experiences that come from the formation of a new home and church assignments, I found each day fully occupied. Within eight months, I was in the office of a doctor, being carefully examined for the presence of ulcers. For weeks, each night I would return home from work with a severe headache. And only after a long, quiet period of isolation could I calm my nerves sufficiently to sleep briefly and return to work the next day. I began to prayerfully consider my plight. It was ridiculous. All I wanted to do was to be a worthy husband and father and to carry out honorably my Church and professional assignments. My best efforts produced frustration, worry, and illness. In time, I was prompted to divide mentally and physically where possible all of the challenges and tasks and assignments given to me into two categories. First, those for which I had some ability to control and resolve, 
I put these into a mental basket called concern. Second, all the rest of the things that were either brought to me or I imagined I had responsibility to carry out, but for which I had no control. I put these in a basket called worry. I realized that I could not change them to any significant degree, so I studiously strived to completely forget them. With a basket, the items in the basket marked concern were ordered in priority. I conscientiously tried to resolve them to the best of my ability. I realized that I could not always fulfill all of them on schedule or to the degree of competence desired, but I did my conscientious best. Occasionally, as I sat in my office, I'd feel my stomach muscles tighten and tension overcome me. I would cease whatever activity I was engaged in and with earnest prayer for support, concentrate on relaxing and overcoming the barrier that worry produced in my life. Over a period of time, these efforts were blessed by the Lord. I again came to understand how the Lord is willing to strengthen, fortify, guide, and direct every phase of life. The symptoms of illness passed and I learned to face tasks under pressure. Why is there such emphasis in the world that today on things? When things become an end unto themselves, the object of our effort, not tools to be used to reach greater, more noble goals, they become a part of Satan's plan to deflect us from the Lord's program. They can lead us carefully down to hell. Things do not produce happiness on earth nor do they provide exaltation. Material things are to be respected for their value as tools. Every artist, surgeon, or writer needs tools. They become instruments for greater good and should not at any time become the ultimate goal of life. Much of life's disappointments come from looking beyond the mark from seeking success and happiness where it cannot be found. When wealth, position, influence, and power become the measure of success in life, we should not be disappointed when their attainment does not produce the satisfaction and blessings promised for fulfillment of the commandments of the Lord. The Savior declared as His work and glory to bring the past the immortality and eternal life of man. He enthroned love for one another, service to a neighbor, and building the kingdom of God for His glory and majesty as noble, worthy goals that produce rewards beyond all power of speech to express. Mormon gives us precious insight when he declared, For behold, the Spirit of Christ is given unto every man that he may know good from evil. Wherefore I show unto you the way to judge. For everything which inviteth to do good and to persuade to believe in Christ is sent forth by the power and gift of Christ. Wherefore ye may know with a perfect knowledge that is of God. But whatsoever thing persuadeth men to do evil and believe not in Christ and to deny him, and to serve not God, then ye may know with a perfect knowledge that it is of the devil. 
For after this manner doth the devil work, for he persuadeth no man to do good, no, not one. Neither do his angels, neither do they who subject themselves unto him. I have obtained a personal witness that the true monument to an individual is worthy accomplishment, not mounds of paper plans or hordes of accumulated possessions. The eternal progress we attain in our life and contribute to accomplish in the lives of others are measure enough for the worthwhileness of our efforts here on earth. No matter who we are, what lofty position we hold, or powerful influence we wield, these things in and of themselves are of no lasting moment. Rather, how well we serve as instruments in the hands of the Lord to accomplish His divine will, or how devotedly we obey His commandments and worthily, or, and worthily we receive His ordinances. In the final analysis, all success can be measured by how effectively we can interpret and accomplish the will of our Father in Heaven in our own lives, the lives of our family and loved ones, and the lives of His other children we are blessed to serve. It's been a distinct honor to be in your presence today, and I am not sure how many present could benefit from the comments made. I ask if they apply to someone you know to share them. Where once in my life there was loneliness and a feeling of being left out, I now share unspeakable brotherhood and sisterhood a feeling of belonging, of being useful. And I recognize that it comes only from sincere striving to live the commandments of the Lord. There are those about us on every side who would justify taking a path contrary to that of the Lord because they feel rejected. Oh, how essential it is to touch such a heart and have it feel the expanding influence of the Holy Ghost and show to such an individual how every problem of life can be corrected when the gospel flows into the life. May God bless each of us to appreciate our heritage the privilege of attending this glorious university, the great honor of being children of our Father in heaven with testimonies of truth. May we share it with those in need, I humbly pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
You've been listening to the Overcoming Adversity podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage by study and by faith. Come follow me, the Prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on Podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.